Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. I'm Scott Jones, as always your host. Normally we release episodes every Friday to discuss, among other things, the content of our weekly roundup, long-form post, Another Week Ends, which is kind of like a Christian cosmopolitan grace-infused guide to what's worth paying attention to out on the interwebs, at least in our mind. But this week, our Christmas episode is a little different. I'm going to share with you a meditation recently shared by David Zoll. But before that, I want to read a quote to you from the esteemed essayist Dan Harmon about Christmas. Harmon writes, no matter how black, white, male, female, Irish, German, tall, short, ugly, or pretty you felt this year, you are part of a family that has been targeted by an unforgiving cosmos since its inception, but has, regardless, survived. Humanity, warts and all, is an inherently heroic species that has spent about 99.9% of its short lifetime as an underdog. And if you see no billboards telling you that, It's not because it's not true. It's because there's little to no profit to be made telling you. I could go on and on about the suffering we've endured and the adaptations we've made. But to me, our species' crowning jewel is that on the shortest day of the year, when the sun spends most of its time swallowed, when everything is frozen, when nothing can grow, when the air is so cold, our voices stopped right in front of our faces. We put a string of lights on a universe that is currently doing nothing to earn it. We not only salvage an otherwise desolate time of year, we make it the best time of year. These are worthwhile insights that merit some reflection, but there's something Harmon doesn't point out or fails to see. Not only has our species been targeted by an unforgiving cosmos since its inception, but before the creation of the cosmos, we were the target of an ever-forgiving creator, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, who targets us with relentless and ferocious grace. And just as we put a string of lights on a universe that's currently doing nothing to earn it, in the incarnation, it's as if God is putting a string of lights on the human race. In the incarnation of his son, Jesus, who came to share in our fragile human life so that we could share in his ever-enduring divine one. Thanks be to God. And now, with no further ado, David Zoll. It's a wondrous story Anyone can see Let's give God the glory It's a wondrous 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> a friend of mine who teaches undergrads uh, was addressing them recently before, uh, last week actually, and gave them what he considered to be a gift, a Christmas gift. He gave them a perfect way to extricate yourself from a relationship you don't want to be in any longer, specifically romantic relationships. So he was giving a bunch of students advice about how to break up with someone. And uh, what he said is called the meet the parents option. Say it's getting serious and it's the holidays and you're going over there with uh, your girlfriend or boyfriend and you're going to meet the parents. You knock on the door, you're on their doorstep, and they open it. And the father sticks his hand out to shake your hand and what you do is slap it away as quick as you can. Maybe slap it twice. The mother opens her mouth to say something. Put up your hand like this uh, as if to say, stop. And then turn to your uh, girlfriend and say the following. Say, baby, what are we doing here? I could care less about these people. Can't you see it's you I love? And I love you so much. That wouldn't go over well. And, uh, and yet, is this not often how Protestants treat Mary? We're into Jesus He's our main squeeze, but we'd rather not meet his parents. <laughs> Less concerned about whoever raised him. Um, now, this, of course, is a time of year when even those of us in uh, uh, Protestant churches find Mary to be unavoidable. You can't get around her. You can't have a crash scene without a Mary. Uh, and what is unavoidable about her in this passage, which we've just read, which is the, known as the visitation that Magnificat? Well, there's one word that's repeated about four different times, and it's the word blessed. Elizabeth, her cousin, says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you for believing that this thing will be fulfilled. And then Mary, in her own song, says, all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. Now, what does it mean? This is what I want to say this morning. What does it mean? What, what does she mean when she says blessed? And how does that differ from what we mean when we use that word? Because this is a time of year when the word blessed is, is around. Whether or not you have anything concerned for Mary, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear, you're going to be told it's the time to count your blessings. Maybe even to parade them in front of other people in the form of like a Christmas card or a Christmas letter. But you, it's usually when we use the term blessed, it has to do, uh, it's related to us getting something that we wanted or our life being made a little bit easier. It is a pseudonym f uh, for being thankful for a, a fortunate set of circumstances. Something fortuitous has happened, which means we're blessed. Now, those of you who are familiar with social media at all by Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, perhaps you know that blessed has become a catchphrase. It's become something people include at the end of a line. What I mean is you have a picture of a beautiful restaurant, fancy restaurant, and the caption reads, you know, out for a date night with my hubby. 
hashtag blessed, right? Or maybe you have a picture of an acceptance letter to graduate school. It says, you know, got into Princeton, hashtag blessed. Or <laughs> I, I got drafted to my favorite team. There's a lot of sports-related hashtag blessed out there. I was wanted to know what exactly is blessing people at the moment here in Charlottesville. So I did a search for it this morning. And um, it turns out our good friends down the road, Wendy's, uh, they have an offer right now where you can pay $1 and possibly score Frosties for an entire year. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I mean, and that is a blessing. Who wouldn't want Frosties for a whole year? Now, the New York Times picked up on this last year, and they uh, gave a slightly cynical take on what it is we actually mean when we use the word blessed. They said that it has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, to acknowledge a success without sounding too conceited, or to purposely elicit envy. Now, I know that's not how you use the term, but you might have seen it used this way. Now, what is the problem here? Well, when blessing is used to signify good things happening or life getting a little easier, it's not that those things aren't good or that life isn't made easier, but there's a cost. And the cost is that we wonder uh, why others appear to be so blessed in ways that we are not. We get that Christmas card and you said, why is it that their marriage or their house uh, is so perfect and mine is not? My kids don't even want to be in a Christmas card with me. And uh, yet, they seem to be smiling, wearing Peter Pan collars. You know, <laughs> am I cursed? So when we say, make no mistake, when you say you've been blessed with a parking space in front of church, that means when you have to park, uh, you know, down by the courthouse, you've been cursed. We go through life discerning all these blessings and curses. I mean, it promotes a very capricious view of God, not to mention a view of God where his, his values and priorities are so directly aligned with ours that it filters down to, you know, um, uh, our uh, parking situation. Now, I don't mean to admit that God isn't interested in your parking situation, because I think he is. <laughs> But I use that as a very trivial example of the way people actually use this. And the holidays amplify the blessing thing that I'm talking about. Because oftentimes there is pressure for Christmas to look or feel a certain way. To be, for it to be a perfect Christmas, to live up to some childhood ideal you had. And that pressure will exacerbate the extent to which we feel non-blessed. Or the effort we put into erecting the facade of blessedness. I mean, we will feel more acutely the person who's not here this year for Christmas because they've been taken from us. This means that the holidays are for many people not so much an occasion for joy, but for self-pity or resentment or just plain sorrow. As far as I can tell, even those of us who do feel genuinely blessed at times, are very familiar with how non-blessed we feel. This is simply what it means to be a sinner living in a broken world. We realize how much more blessing we not only want, but need. Now, 
how does Mary then use this word? How is, does Elizabeth use this word? Because we know that her life has not gone to plan. Her life is not something anyone would pick out of a catalog. This is a young girl who's unmarried and pregnant in an unglamorous place and time of, a, of an occupied army. Well, we can tell right off the word, right off the bat, that blessing in God's world is not a matter of doing, but of receiving. What I mean is that it's somehow linked to her lowly status. That's how she talks about it. This is a, it's, it's made very clear God chooses this person to favor, this person who has nothing, who in fact seems to have negative amount of blessing. That's where blessing's going to be. So we talk about, oh, I've been blessed by all this hard work and these wonderful children, you know, that sort of connotes that we've earned whatever it is we've gotten. But in God's world, blessing is not a matter of earning, but a matter of giving. And doesn't giving lie at the heart of Christmas? The Christmas story, make no mistake, is not about how blessed it is to be a giver, but how essential it is to see ourselves as recipients, as receivers. Maybe you know someone who says, who's too proud to, to accept a gift, or I just have a hard time receiving, or maybe they refuse to take charity. Well, there are any numbers of reasons why that might be true, but they are operating not out of the spirit of Christmas. Not out of the spirit of Christmas. William Willimon, the theologian, says that we prefer to think of ourselves as, as givers. Powerful, competent, self-sufficient, capable people whose goodness motivates us to employ some of our power and competence for the benefit of those less fortunate. It is a direct contradiction of the biblical account of the first Christmas. Mary is the passive party here, the receiver. She is the surrenderer. She, is, she acquiesces. She accepts. And what that looks like to the outside eye is faith. That's what it looks like. But if blessing is not a matter of doing but receiving, well, what is it that she's received? What has she been given on Christmas? Well, it's two things. She's been given faith and she's been given a baby. She begins faith that God is doing something and something good despite all evidence to the contrary. That's what it means to be blessed, to be holy, to see God in the world and trust that he is at work even in the things that we cannot discern, understand, or imagine. And that is rooted inextricably in the knowledge of how God sees us. He has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. This means for you and me that we can never know simply based on how our life feels, whether it is filled with blessing or not. In fact, if we know anything, it's that we mistake blessings for curses and vice versa all the time. doesn't mean those things don't exist, but it means that our interpretive skills are lacking. Because what happens here? Does Mary just receive this and, and, and just take it on the chin and everything goes swimmingly from there on out? And then it starts to be an upward trajectory. And then fruit starts to be born. No. She has this child in a barn. And then she watches him grow up, gain a following, and get arrested and beaten and crucified. The sword that would pierce her heart is the sword that pierces his side. 
Nothing about this looked like a blessing. Not something anyone would ever envy. Yet that is the upside-down shape that God's ultimate blessing takes because God is interested in creating something out of nothing. This is why Martin Luther so famously remarked that God is closest to the one who appears to be furthest from him. God is closest to the one who appears to be furthest from him. Meaning those not only of lowly status, but those who are complicit in their lowly status. For whom life feels not like a parade of blessing, but a veil of tears. I'll give you an example to close. Many of you know the comedian Stephen Colbert. He took over late night from David Letterman. He's an outspoken Catholic. He's a really very interesting person. What you may not know about him is that he's the youngest of 11 children. When he was 10 years old, his father and two of his brothers were killed in a plane crash. Young Stephen was the only child still at home with his mother in the years immediately following the tragedy. Uh, Colbert was interviewed right before he took over late night uh, by GQ, and the interviewer noted, as many people have noted before, that Stephen Colbert doesn't seem to exhibit any of the anger or bitterness that marks so many comedians. In fact, he appears to be genuinely grounded and joyful. So the interviewer wanted to know, how could this possibly be given the losses that he had suffered? His answer, come to find out, had everything to do with his mother who is not named Mary, but sounds an awful lot like her. He tells that even in those days of unremitting grief, his mother drew on her faith, but not just any faith, a faith that recognizes that our sorrow is inseparable from our joy, that the only way not to be swallowed entirely by sorrow is to always understand our suffering and ourselves in light of eternity. What is this present trial? In the light of eternity. Colbert went on. He said it was a very healthy reciprocal acceptance of suffering. Which does not mean being defeated by suffering. Acceptance is not defeat. Acceptance is just awareness. you got to learn to love the bomb. Boy did I have a bomb when I was 10. That was quite an explosion. And I learned to love it. So that may be why you don't see me as someone angry and working out my demons on stage. It doesn't mean it's that I love the thing that I most wish had not happened. The interviewer is floored. (laughs) What? Um, And he asks Stephen to elaborate. And in order to elaborate, he describes a letter that J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, had sent in response to a priest who had questioned whether Tolkien's mythology was sufficiently doctrinaire since it treated death not only as a punishment for sin, but also as a gift. Colbert says, Tolkien, in that letter back, writes, what punishments of God are not gifts? What punishments of God are not gifts? Colbert's eyes are filled with tears. So it would be ungrateful not to take everything with gratitude. It doesn't mean you want it. I can hold both of those ideas in my head. Now, those are the words of a blessed man. Those are the words of a blessed man in that moment. And on Christmas, it turns out that God disrupts our carefully planned lives with a gift. And that gift 
is the baby who was not only given to Mary, but to the whole world out of love for even those of us who cannot hold both those ideas in our head. So, yes, we can stop searching our experiences for blessing and curses, knowing that the ultimate blessing has been given and that not that not even our rejection of this gift can stop God from giving it. He wants to give it so badly that he allows this son to be rejected and crucified, but then to rise again. What I'm saying is that God looked with favor on Mary. And today, no matter how empty or full your hands are, no matter how many times you've slapped God's hand away, well, he looks with favor on you. Merry Christmas. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices oh now was born Oh night Divine Oh night Oh night Oh, no. Nah.